This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for staying tuned to The Remnant Radio. We've got a great episode up for you this week. Uh, For those of you who do not know, my name is Joshua Lewis. I'm one of the hosts here on The Remnant Radio. Our goal as a program is to challenge orthodoxy, embrace diversity, and empower people for practical ministry. Orthodoxy, we, we take that to mean anything that's commonly taught in the church. That's just textbook definition. Anything that's commonly taught, we want to bring that back to the surface. We want to we want to shake it. We want to re-examine it uh, and make sure that it is the Word of God and not the tradition of men. Jesus said that the, the power of God's Word or the power of God is nullified by the traditions of men. So uh, we believe that true theology is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So we want to make sure that what we're teaching is biblical truth. Secondly, uh, we want to embrace diversity because we found the best way to really challenge our thought bub- bubbles in our echo chambers is by inviting different pastors and teachers from different churches and different denominations on the program. And finally, we want to empower you for practical ministry. Because again, true theology, no God, Jesus Christ to me sent, transforms your lives. To my right, your left, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Gray. Jeff, tell people what you're doing on the on the Facebook there and how they can follow so, us on the yes. different platforms that we're As on. As always, I will be monitoring all the questions if they are adequate, <laughs> if they are up to snuff, if you will, then I will ask them on air and hopefully we can get a good answer on air uh, we were asking we we're asking our, our guests are some pretty toughies before the show so let's see if we can tackle some of that and then also we want you to like the page if you haven't liked it already if it's the first time you're seeing us please like the page like the video if you think it's just completely mind-blowingly awesome share it to your page that would be awesome just to help us get some traction get this thing going and get the word out on what we're doing so yeah. That's right. Um, so uh, for those of you who are new tuning in and you're like, hey, I love Facebook, but I've got to go. I want to remind you that you can watch the rerun on YouTube or you can go to our podcast. We're on podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anything and everything. Uh, but no, without further ado, to my left, your right, we have Dr. Scott Harrell. Do- I don't call you Doc, but tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, uh, your background, uh, where you just came from, so kind of people get to know you a little bit. Sure. Uh, well, where do I start? I was raised in Washington State, and uh, so both Eastern and Western. Went to Seattle Pacific University and then uh, over to La Brie in Switzerland with a man named Francis Schaefer that put a lot of my faith back together. <laughs> with a man named Francis Schaefer, name drop. <laughs> How is he going to drop a bomb like that? Well, I I he that put coming. my faith back together. So, oh, my gosh. God. And uh, then into <laughs> the Caribbean Louise. and other things. Ended up at a Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, found a, a wonderful wife there, Ruthie. And we've now got uh, two girls and uh, eight grandkids. So uh, all's well. Uh, yeah. I just came back from Mozambique where I go fairly often to do pastor's conferences, and that's a delight. This one was on the essence of the church, but they've been on the Trinity. They've been on what did Christ do for us on the cross. A lot of needs in Africa, and uh, I love to go there uh, as well as other parts of the world. So I teach on a doctoral level, master's level, and, and on kind of a wide-open leadership level in a lot of parts of the world. So it's delight to be with you. Thanks, Josh, yeah, man, it's, to be with you guys. You're, you're one of our favorite guests, and it's going to be fun for Jeff because... He didn't hear you last time. No, um, I was. I don't know where I was, but I wasn't here. <laughs> Somebody said you were sleeping. I don't know. Probably, no. <laughs> probably just taking a nap. We had, yeah, we had Sean Duffy come in and, and do the program with us, but uh, it, it's it's going to be a blessing for those of you who are listening. You've spent, if, if I recall correctly, twenty years working on a book for the Trinity. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, and it's still in process. Uh, so that, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Yes, and, and that, what that does is that just shows our audience the commitment that you have to rightly presenting it because if you were here to make money if you were here to write a cool book that people would buy uh you would have had published it you know a good yeah, 15 years yeah. ago uh but 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 the trinity is a complicated doctrine it is a a deeply 
uh, essential doctrine. It's a very it's a very profound thing that the church needs to have a grasp of, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that book being published. Thank so. you, thank you. It took Augustine <laughs> no pressure twenty five years, so I'm I'm uh, within my limit yet. I there guess. you go. So but at twenty five years, are you just, is the goal to beat Augustine or uh, no no? How do you beat don't it? think that's going to happen? Do you spend twenty six years, and is that how you beat Augustine, uh, or do you spend twenty four? I'm, I'm curious. We'll we'll find out. Uh, the sabbatical that I'm on was supposed to finish <laughs> this book, so working on it okay right. thank you well i'm excited for it i'm excited so uh great program we're going to be talking about uh christology and and i think there are a lot of things that are thrown around in in multiple movements and multiple camps about christology uh but i would even say uh have not been really considered the totality of those statements like what a single statement about christ identity could mean just fleshed out uh, michael or no, michael mitchell would say this when you're when you're aiming downrange and that one click on your scope, 200 yards down, could be six feet, hmm. you know? And, and we make this one little click, and it doesn't seem like a big movement when we make statements. Like, uh, for one example, Jesus did everything just as a man, not as God at all. That's one click on the scope, and I feel like that really changes trajectory further downrange, and I don't think people quite see it. Um, so I'd like to address some of those things on the program. Uh, the hypostatic union, for those of you who are watching, that's an odd title for a show, it really talks about Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. Um, maybe we can talk about the Gnosticism of, of Christ being fully God and not man at all. No flesh, no sarks, that kind of thing. Um, uh, give me give me your ideas and, and thoughts on some of that. Well, you have you have Christians and non Christians trying to figure out who Jesus was from the from the first century on. And mm-hmm. so on one side you have a very small group, really, called Ebionites. It means Ebion, and Hebrew means the poor. Uh, and they were kind of a Hebrew sect that, uh, especially with the destruction of Jerusalem, 6970, fled, it seems, into Egypt, uh, southern Egypt, up the Nile, as well as possibly in certain other places. And they would try to say that Jesus was like, you know, uh, like John the Baptist, a good prophet, good man, but but not really God. I mean, he was anointed by the Spirit and all of that. And uh, that was a fairly small group. More were inclined the other way to say he's some kind of an emanation of God, a Gnostic. It's called Docetic Christianity, where where Jesus uh, is sort of a phantom. So he walks on the sand and leaves no footprints. Uh, He does miracles (laughs) as a little child, doing all kinds of things. Uh, Somebody splashes him. uh, He cripples them. And and, uh, the Gnostic (laughs) Gospels of Thomas, the infancy Gospels of Thomas, are... uh, are entertaining, and some actually try <laughs> to take them seriously. Yeah. Uh, Gnostic Christology, uh, uh, both of these actually are still around. When you get into New Age, uh, you read a little Deepak Chopra or others, you'll find that Gnostic Christology is alive and well in a lot of places, and Ebionism as Jesus just a man has been popular for the last 200 years in liberal circles, where Jesus is uh, just another righteous uh, but uh, anointed person who we can learn from, but certainly is not uh, anything of an incarnate, eternal Son of God. Hmm. So that's been with us for quite a good while Yeah, uh, through the ages uh, and picked up a lot in the last 100 to 200 years. So so when you're talking about this Jewish sect specifically, is this the group of people who, uh, Jesus was the Messiah, but the Messiah, according to what they could see in the scriptures, is just a man? Well, is that for fair? some, for some. The, the intertestamental period is an interesting time. The time of Jesus, very interesting, because uh, new research is coming out from Daniel Boyarin and Benjamin Summer and other rabbinical scholars, some of the top in the world, uh, Oxford University Press and so forth, the bodies of God, and saying that, particularly with Boyarin, that uh, the intertestamental period had some who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, son of David, which certainly aligns with Scripture. Others said, well, he's the heavenly son of man, Daniel 7. He's the one that comes on the clouds. He's a divine figure. Others would say, well, he must be both in some way. And so there was a a, a milieu of lots of different ideas. And uh, at least these two men would say even the idea of Trinity was already latent in Judaism, even though later on they they became quite dogmatic against that, that theology. But that the ideas that we as as Christians believe were not invented by us. They, they were the scriptures that brought it together. So what do you have? Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a, 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 a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, El Gabor, Mighty God, which is only used for Yahweh, the, the, the high God, and in fact only in, uh, in Isaiah 
1021 right after that. So you're bringing in, uh, uh, how do you put all that together if you're Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, many, it's a hard question to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say intertestamental period, again, just yeah, continue sure. educating my audience. You're talking about um, Christ to, what, 70 AD? Is that your intertestamental no, period? intertestamental would mean after Malachi, around 400 before the Christ. 400 years of so you had a whole John bunch of what are called apocalyptic literature coming in. Right. First and second Enoch. Maccabees, Some of these yeah, talk a like lot that. about a Messiah being this divine figure who comes down and yet uh, rules over the world. So there, there's a lot of background here that's fascinating. So 400 yeah. years before Christ, up to the time of Christ, and I suppose you could say right up so they were kind to of painting, 70. They were painting a picture yeah. of more of the second coming of Jesus, what well, it sounds like. Uh, it was a mixed mixed bag. A lot okay. of things going on, lots of angels out there, too, yeah. and yeah, hierarchies read, and all the rest. I so. read the, the Book of Enoch last week you did. for a show on the Book of Enoch Seriously. just a couple of days ago. So, yeah, uh, last Wednesday we did an entire Nephilim in the, in the Book yeah. of Enoch. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Good. Just to, just to address, and, and basically the takeaway was it was a historical book. Um, we view it not as canonical, but to help maybe understand the Jewish yeah. framework. It's kind of the way that we walked away from it to say, you can use this to understand maybe their thoughts, but this isn't canonical to say, we know without a shadow of a doubt it was inspired. Yeah. There were things we liked, things we didn't like, um, and we talked about some of that too. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, that's just to say, go watch that video. Um, so, so we talk about that. So, so the Gnosticism goes to the other extreme, right? The Gnosticism says, well, not, not him as fully man, but him as fully God, right? Like that, that Jesus even, and I know there's different sects of Gnosticism here, but uh, that Gnosticism by and large would say, well, there was like a astro projection of Jesus's image on the cross. And he bit. didn't actually he, die like a, there. Like force, like, like Luke and last Jedi kind of stuff. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Okay. Nailed that illustration. <laughs> Just trying to give a people, people a picture. That's my job here, bro. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. No, yeah, that, was, yeah. that was gold. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this, this projection, this, this image, this almost holographic uh, divine thing that was there and people saw Jesus, but there wasn't actually his physical body wasn't there and they would say again uh, to my understanding gnostics it's it's really hard to make statements in front of someone who's a doctor so and he he can speak read the language <laughs> and i'm i'm uh, i'm doing the You're best doing i can so yeah. um uh, the 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 flesh the physical body everything about it was sinful any desires any pleasures even uh. even the enjoyment of food it was very almost almost you know, Zen Buddhist, where you had to whip yourself into submission, kind Flog of yourself. the flesh is evil. Yeah, that kind of Submit thing. Submit the flesh. Um, and if Jesus had flesh, that would make Jesus evil, and therefore he can't be evil. Therefore, he had to be completely God and no man. Yeah, you got it. Is that uh, fair? Uh, Nailed it. Yes. The, the material world is the Nailed opposite it. of God, which is spirit. So, so you transcend this world by abnegating uh, the flesh, the body. At least some did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jesus is kind of in between. He's you know he's not the transcendent. Uh, uh, invisible one he's one that uh, has made himself present but uh he's he's one of those emanating spirits a lot like the avatars of hinduism or something like that Mm -hmm. so yeah and and we see some of that right still in oh i think all over yeah you know in our i would say fundamentalist camps that anything that is physical is evil i think that's that stuff i think on some level seeps in that that uh you know Man, I, I'm not trying to come against fasting or those kinds of things, but there are there are these. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to push so that Jesus can respond. You've got to do this so that Jesus will that. Right. And, and that is a deny your flesh, beat your flesh kind of mentality. If we're not suf- yeah. if we're not suffering, we're not really serving. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And I think that exists in in evangelicalism on some level. Probably does. Uh, when when Romans eight talks about mortifying the flesh, mm-hmm. flesh means sin, the yeah. sin nature, not not our physical bodies. Yeah, Indeed, we are created in the image of God, and Jesus assumed our flesh. So so there's a beauty there. There's a hope of redemption that's that's glorious. So yeah, yeah you, you nailed it. I think I, I think a lot of uh, kind of peripheral groups to Christianity do that as well. There's a lot of kind of Gnostic ideas floating around universities and. Uh, sometimes in sectarian groups yeah so well yeah. i think it's one of the things where it's there's this push to you know when we think about god and we think about his holiness we think about all his who he is and he's obviously high exalted he's lifted up he's so above us um that we want to um reverence him of course we want to fear him of course but we we miss the aspect of you know first you know jesus walked the face of the earth as the most joyous person mm-hmm. to ever live and we forget that God is so full of joy and so full of life and so full of all these things. And the enemy wants to 
keep us from experiencing those things from God. Awesome. So he like he likes to label certain things that are really gifts of God as wicked, as evil, as sinful, in order for us to kind of like crawl into these holes of, like you said, like beating ourselves, flogging ourselves. Yeah. Or maybe we don't do it literally anymore, but you know we like to crawl into our, our prayer closets and just feel shame and things like that. You know, yeah. so um, seeing people freed up in their mind, their thinking is is so vital, and we want it. We want to have them be able to enjoy uh, who God's made them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's I think that's a fair point uh, to quote John Calvin. Um, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man are inseparable. Right. And so when we know who Christ is, the implications of who Christ is tell us a lot of who we are. It does. And if Christ his if his physical flesh is this evil, wicked, sinful thing, we will always walk around beating ourselves. We will always walk around trying to beat ourselves into submission. Um one of the one of the questions I like to ask in class is, what would have attracted you to Jesus Christ as a person? Um, so here's a human being walking the earth, and huge crowds are beginning to follow him. Of course, there are miracles and and his remarkable teaching. But what about his person? Is so beautiful, so attractive. Yeah. And 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 you know, you start walking through the emotions that you see in Christ. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's disgusted. Sometimes he's melancholy, mm. as well as uh, the the playing with the children. And there was something about him that women could trust, and they would be his followers. And uh, you know, there's just many many aspects to who he is. In fact, there's a fullness of what is human that we see in Jesus that that you really don't see in other in my opinion, religious leaders. You, you put a Buddha up there, the Gautama Buddha, and he's abnegating all desires. So, uh, yet Jesus embraced those desires uh, with friendship and with love and with sometimes going without food, but other times enjoying the feasts. There's a, there's a wholeness to Jesus, and I think that's the reason even atheists will often say Jesus is the most extraordinary person who's ever walked the earth. Amen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, his humanity is really, really vital for us. And of course, this, the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, really begin with his humanity. Well, you have the, the, the virgin birth, but then you see Jesus uh, offering himself as Messiah to Israel. And and there's there's this fullness and beauty of, of what he is that that attracted people. And I don't think he was handsome. In fact, I think he was probably rather... Unhandsome. Normal. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I think not, worse than normal. I think, yeah, I think it, as Isaiah says that his, there's nothing about his appearance that, that would attracts have, us. That, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I think uh, he would have never, never been a candidate for the Jesus films we see all the time. Yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> I hear that. Um, there was there was an innate uh, reality to his humanity that that becomes uh, extremely attractive. Yeah, I mean it's funny because we thinking about Jesus and what we see about Jesus in the films and you know how he always is portrayed. And the reality is, is he probably didn't have long flowing hair. He's probably a lot curlier, a lot more tangled up than we like to think. He was probably around five foot six, <laughs> you know, a lot more darker, you know, the darker complexion and all those things. And so it's one of those things that um, I love to think about, you know, Jesus, who he is now and what he looks like and who Jesus, what he was like on earth. And, you know, you, it sounds funny, but it's like, you know, what did his voice sound like? What? What did he smell like? What what was it about him that just drew people in? And I think that it's one of the things that I long to see in myself. I long to see in in the church is that when that were there's like a transparency and there's a realness and that everything that he was doing was really flowing out of his identity and who he was. And he wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to people please. He wasn't trying to. He wasn't. A, he didn't have any fear of man. He was really going. Um, going for it and everything he was doing because of he was rooted and grounded in the love of his father and how, how his father felt about him. And it freed him up. And uh, people are drawn to that. But then people are also freaked out by it. They're very intimidated by that at some times. And so that's why I think you see that pull and that tug of people who just love to latch on and wanted to follow him everywhere. And then some were like, oh, who does this guy think he is? And they were just disgusted by his freedom almost, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and yeah. Hey, he had the spirit of God. So, I mean, <laughs> I think that's where, you know, thinking about who Jesus was as a man, man, I just, it gets me stirred up. Yeah. I'll, I'll often quote uh, Athanasius who said, the finite cannot contain the, the infinite. infinite. Yeah. And, <coughs> excuse me, there's really no physical representation of Jesus uh, that, that, you know, beyond a, a, a mere outline until we get to the fourth century. 
then he had one eye bigger than the other, and at least in in these ancient ones, there may be some kind of a a veil or something like that that could have been passed on. We don't know for sure, but we really don't have a clue as to what Jesus looked like. Yeah. There's just nothing in history, right. which is most fascinating because you know what David looked like, you know what Samson looked like, you know what a lot of people look like, but but yeah. not Jesus. So as I come from Africa, I love to show figures of Jesus as an African or an Indian or a, a Korean or other parts of the world. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of it all. Here he is, the incarnate God on earth, and yet we really don't know what he looked like other than surmisal yeah, uh, of exactly. what a Jew might look yeah. like at that time and space. So uh, how beautiful it is. It is that interior reality of who he is that just floods out and uh, moves to the far reaches of the world, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it's the his imminence and his transcendence merged into one thing, yeah. you know, that he is, he is so fully God, which is such a, a transcendent reality that's so beyond us. It's so, it's so vast and so ex- ex- extensive, but then it's so, it's so present with us. It's, it's right here. It's so tangible. It's so physical. Um, and, and it's one thing that I love about Christ is the way that Christ teaches is the way that he condescended the way that I am, he is God, he's fully God, and he becomes man. He is making God known through the incarnation. In the, yeah, in the times yeah. past, he is he's spoken to the prophets and the apostles, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So Christ comes, he makes the Father known, and no one has ever seen the Father except for him who's come from the Father, yeah. and he's come to, to, to make him known. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Christ is the image that something that is so real, so with us, that it can explain something so infinite. And he does the same thing with all of his teachings. He goes, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like bread. It's, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. leaven. It's, it's like a tree. It's like a this. It's like he's making something that's so infinite, something that's so vast, something that's so superior. And, and through the incarnation of just teaching, the, the, the incarnation, the condescension, I prefer that word. Yeah. I, I really do. Uh, the condescension of teaching with modern... Uh, uh, expressions is making that known. Yeah, he's done that his entire life. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. It is really it's so it? beautiful. Yeah, um, it's 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 hard to it's hard to comprehend, and that's that, those are some of the things that I, I think we we have to address because there are those who say anything that's flesh is sinful. There are those who say mm-hmm. that God God couldn't do anything as God because if he did it as God he. He, he wouldn't be a, a sinless man. Um, so so working those two things out, I even I even spoke to a, a close theologian friend of mine. He would say uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, a man attested to you by God doing signs, wonders, and miracles, that he did those things as a man, that God's mm-hmm. working through him um, to be able to find that 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 tension of, of him being a man, doing signs as a man, but being God. Um so, so I, I think that's the conclusion of where we're going, but but in doing so, you had even mentioned something before the show about uh, about that tension, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to recall it right now. I had it just a second ago, um, but it was about man, what was it about? He had mentioned it right before the show. Jesus. Uh, oh man, I don't know. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm gonna get it. I'm I was get really it. getting like just deep into what you were saying. I was yeah. just like, this is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so okay. So, so, so he's fully God, fully man. Um, the the man, it's going to come to me. It's well, okay. It, I'll, I'll let you. You, go. Ha- you have to say it's a mystery. I yeah. mean, uh, whether Trinity, three persons, one essence of God, or Christology, the two natures of Christ. It took the Church a long time to walk that way, as they struggled between some saying, "Well, he's like a coconut; he's God on the inside, but man <laughs> on the outside." Or Nestorius, at least, oh, was when it's described to him as kind of a yeah. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He's really two persons in one right. body. Or others that just kind of blended the, the, the humanity and deity together in such a way that it distorted what Christ is. These were tough issues that the church was working through. And yeah. uh, we come to the council of, well, Ephesus in 431, but even more so Chalcedon, or Chalcedon as some say, in 451, where they said, he's this one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time fully God and fully man with a rational soul and a body, uh, and the distinction of each nature is not is not is not confused. Rather, yeah. it, it is there's there's each nature side by side, in the one person, even what they call the one prosopon and one uh, who 
hypostasis, the one being of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that's a mystery for us, isn't it? I yeah. mean, how is the one person embodying both uh, both the humanity and deity? Well, Seth, I think the thing is, is that obviously it's super challenging tackling this. But at the same time, for me personally, when I think about Christ that way, I get it's it it gives me peace. I don't, it, it's usually it's like a challenge sometimes for some people. Like, well, how do I how do I figure this out? How can I how can I believe? How can I trust when I can't when I can't hash this thing out? And for me, it actually gives me peace because I see that he is the exact representation of the Father. He is the re- exact representation of his nature, and he's showing me who the Father is. And everything about him says all he wants is intimacy with me he wants to know me he wants to love me he wants to teach me he wants to comfort and correct and he wants to show me the 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 truth and that should get i mean there is an aspect of yeah i don't understand how the whole fully god fully man works but at the same time the fact that he does it and i don't know kind of gets me stoked that's okay (laughs) like i like that about you because it's i shouldn't be able to figure this out if it makes any sense i don't know so the idea that he fully represents the father yeah. and fully represents what mankind yeah. should be. He represents me. How's that possible? Yeah, at the same time, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and he does that as a mediator, at the, you know, so it's, and he draws, he draws player. right up to us. He draws, <laughs> draws near. There's a beauty. Yeah. Uh, technically we would say that, that this eternal son in eternal fellowship with the father and the spirit assumes a human nature. I mean, John 1, 14 are the passages. The word became flesh, right. dwelled among us. So there wasn't a person out there named Jesus running around Nazareth as a little kid who was really nice that God adopted. Rather, rather this, we're told repeatedly, in fact, this is, uh, this is the eternal son who, who assumes a human nature. And so the one person, the divine, uh, sustains the human nature and, uh, and is the one person of our Savior. But uh, yeah, there's some technical language going on there that's important for yeah. us. So well, there was. Oh, go ahead. No, no I was going to say. You know, we we talked about this with, with uh, Michael Mitchell, and it was one of those challenges of like, well, when Jesus becomes when he's in the womb, that first spark yeah. of life. Yeah. Well, where was he before that? Was he man? Before, you know, so there's all these things because he's outside of space and time, mm-hmm. and there's all these challenges that you know that we you know we can try to jump through these in this intellectual cartwheels and try to figure all these things out yet at the same time it's just something that's not going to happen we're just not going to be able to grasp it yet this doctrine is really key for our own salvation and that yeah. was that was the point of gregory of nazianzus and others who are arguing that no jesus has to be fully human and all that we are mind soul as well as appetites and body and all the rest if yeah. we're if there if he's our substitute then he needs to be completely human right. as well as divine. Well, that's the law. So his death yeah. on the cross has right. infinite value yeah. for all who believe. Right. But so he's our Lamb of God. He's our substitute. Yet, yet the benefits of that are just astonishing. Right. As we, as we will worship he's him forever and ever. That as Matthew our five fulfilling Lamb. the law and the prophets. He's just doing it all. You yeah. Know, he has to. Yeah. So and he wants to That's getting the getting the theology <laughs> right. We call you know big fancy language like a hypostatic union, two natures that are completely different, divine and human, and yet and yet here they they are brought together and stand side by side without diminishing the reality of either nature, in the one person of Christ, and that's, well, that's even basic for our salvation. If you think about the the book of First John, or the book of Galatians, or the book of these these scriptures, yeah, where where, where they they say, look, that that which we have seen with our eyes, we've touched with our mm-hmm. hands, we proclaim to you. He's he's encountering Gnosticism, and and he he re- he writes an entire book that is canonized, warning people to not believe mm-hmm. this Gnostic position yeah. that that the the car- that Jesus did not come in carnal flesh, because the implications of that. Are severe. He talks about the resurrection. He talks yeah, about ha- yeah. about the physical body. If if Christ didn't come physically, the implications of that are, well, yeah. are vast. If he doesn't resurrect, we're to be pitied. You yeah. know? and test the spirit. If the spirit says he did not come in the flesh, that's then right. False spirit. So yeah, a lot going and on that, here. And, that, and that's to say, and and that's that's got some serious implication. Well, I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he was fully God. I believe those things. But I believe that something happened with his flesh, and that he wasn't there on the cross, and this and that. It, it just, that little that little scope, you know that that downrange has implications yeah. to salvation, yeah, and 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 that's you know one of the things that we need to talk about, and we can do that towards the end of the show. But just the 
what are you know <laughs> there, there's so there's so much grace there's so much but there's there are these inseparable things about the gospel that we have to be careful as as a, as a church as a body of believers as people who are dialoguing with our, our brothers and our friends across denominations um about about the the oneness Pentecostalism about the uh, about the Jesus did everything as a man those those things are scary and and we need to be careful of them and 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 think through some of those statements I think a little bit more before we publicize them I'm, right. I've been guilty of it yeah well that's I've, I've been the guy say, who's done that we're kind of talking about this before about you know how far can we go we're, yeah where where where's the line if there is a line and you know my personal as I I kind of subscribe to you know, I, you hear me talk about all the time what it means to be born again by the Holy Spirit, and where, where, what does it take to get to that place where God has pricked our hearts? We see our sin, we see our depravity, we see our need for a Savior. Um, we have a revelation of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection on the cross, and maybe we don't know our Bibles. Maybe we're sure. not. I mean, sure. we don't. Yeah, none absolutely. of us walked into this. I don't think being no, no, no great theologians. <laughs> I still am very, very far from anything like that. Yeah, and so. Are. It's one of those things where it's the mercy and grace of God that saves us and keeps us. And I believe that in that process, I mean, we have, we probably have all three, um, and anyone listening has probably uh, found themselves in positions where you went, you know what? I thought this and I believe that. I've done a lot of things as a Christian. I've been, I've been a jerk as a Christian in Jesus' name and thinking I was right on doing some stuff when when I went back and analyzed and God humbled me and brought me to a place, I realized, wow, I was a little off on that part. I was doing these things wrong. But you're asking the question is specifically and why it's more important, not just peripheral theology or doctrine, but the person of Jesus, Christology, why it's so important that we come to biblical truth when it comes to who we believe about Jesus. Because again, if he's not God, if he's not well, a holy we don't man, have a we have nothing. We have nothing to stand on. There's no firm foundation. Yeah. It's shifting sand, and when the when it all comes down, that revelation stuff starts going down, and there's rivers of blood and all that. Well, there's there's I a lot there. I don't want to be on shifting sand. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. You go John six, and you know, the woman at the well, and he goes and talks to her. Right. It, it wasn't enough for her to go. You're a Jewish man. Why are you talking to me? Right. So him being a Jewish man wasn't sufficient. Yep. Right. Oh, you're a prophet. Jesus being a prophet wasn't sufficient. Uh, he was pushing it into yeah, I am the Messiah. Stuff. The, the knowledge of who he is yeah. is to know God and Jesus Christ who he sent is eternal life. If you ask my my now four-year-old son, just turned four this week, Boom. if you ask him, David, who is Jesus Christ? He's the only begotten son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Like the identity of Christ Jesus. Like J- David, what is eternal life? Eternal life is to know God yeah. and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Like knowing him, if, if Jesus is a three-foot-four Asian woman, he is no longer Jesus. So the things that we know about Jesus are essential to salvation. Now, what what things to know about Jesus are essential? Belief in him isn't sufficient because angels believe in him and shudder in fear, yeah. right? Demons, right? No, yeah. yeah, demons. What did I say? Angels. Said angels. Yeah, Which but demons. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so, uh, and then and then you've got you've got a uh, 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 people who know about Christ. He is he is a man. He is the Messiah. But is he God? I don't know. I check yeah. out there. Th- those people can can equally be accursed or anathematized right. according well, to Paul. And I would say that also that there's people that can check off all the right boxes if sure. you ask them all and the right questions the and they're still... And that's know, almost so. another conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do... I want to ask one of our viewers, he had asked a question. I want a, a clarifying question before I toss it to Dr. Harrell. He says a question for, uh, for, for Dr. H. Um, I don't know, maybe he knows you. Uh, is it safe to say that Jesus has two identities? I, I want to maybe clarifying, maybe expound on that a little bit before. Hmm. Do, you, do you maybe have the answer to that? Ident- like Identities is a tough word because he has two natures kind of and, 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 and uh, he's bound in a one identity as we see him rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, glorified, as the Chalcedonian Creed puts it. Uh, two natures without change, uh, without uh, <laughs> the other separation, without division, uh, without confusion. All of these that in some sense... Our Lord is our brother forever and ever. He's the firstborn. He's the one who goes before us. He, uh, that identity is really one now in our Lord. And, and as uh, this eternal Son of God assumes a human nature as we have forever and ever, he will ever be our brother as well as our Lord and God in heaven a trillion years from now. That doesn't mean he's finite. 
because again the finite cannot contain the infinite so even god even god uh can assume form and be in our midst and yet be far more than that at the same time so two identities i don't i don't like that term and it's not a historical term i think i'd rather set that aside and stick with two natures one personal reality cuz jesus isn't schizophrenic well, certainly not. Yeah, uh, he's not. The Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Nestorianism. Because that would sound like identities would be, he's a bit of schizophrenic. Like he yeah, would be, yeah. his divi- the divine Jesus was talking to the man I Jesus. mean, if you think about anybody as a man, just a man, a person, if they had two identities, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we call that so, multiple personalities. Yeah, disorder, yeah. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be a bad thing. So, okay, so Jesus, fully God, fully man, uh, he, he, lives this sin f- sinless life. Um, and w- we look at that sinless life, and those would say if he lived a sinless life as God, then he wouldn't have passed all the checks as mm. man. He, mm. he cheated. He oh. cheated in his sinlessness. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, how, how, can, how can we look to him as our Savior if he cheated on his God card? Yeah, that's a very good question, and, I, and it's one we like to talk about in class, actually. Uh, I don't know anyone who has sweat as drops of blood to obey God. Come on. I, would, I would argue that Jesus drank the dregs in the in the most absolute sense of obedience to God. He went way beyond all the rest of us as he was faithful in the garden, knew what was coming, and said, yes, not my will but yours be done. So when Hebrews talks about him being tempted in all manner like as we, without sin, uh, that takes that goes way beyond the rest of us. Uh, I think I think a, a problem with historic Christianity has been, as we defend the, the deity of Christ, very often we've not taken his humanity seriously. And so we use Peter or Paul or Mary as our human examples rather than Jesus himself. Wow. And the Bible does not let us do that. Jesus is our primary example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Well, that's that's primary for us. So we follow him. We follow him in his... Humanity as our example, as one who, as a baby, had no doubt uh, what every other little child has. If his dad was a carpenter, he hit his hand and and likely cried and sickness and all the rest. Jesus was like us in every way, and yet without sin. I think I think that's extraordinary. And when we do say he was he was tempted in all ways as are we, some people have tried to push that a long way. It's like, well. He was tempted in bestiality. He was oh, tempted sure. in homosexuality and all the rest. And No, we're talking about categories of sin. And every category, our Savior won the victory in those as deep as they were. Right. Perhaps most of all in not going to the cross. That would be the most horrific, oh, yeah. horrific of all. So he is our example as a human that we follow. He is our God that we bow before as Thomas, my Lord and my God. We worship him as the disciples in the boat in, what, Matthew 14. He calms the sea, and they bow down and say, surely, and they worship him, scriptures say, this in the middle of his ministry, and uh, acknowledge him as the Son of God. Uh, And his relation with the Spirit, I think, comes in here, too. I mean, he's God and man in this one person, but here's, here's the perfect man, really incarnate God in one sense, and yet... He shows dependence on the Spirit. Yeah. He's he, uh, without sin and perfect, and yet he trusted the Spirit. How much more the rest of us who, who are finite and who are sinful and who need uh, the sanctifying, pow- empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, how much more we need this Holy Spirit. Now, now there's a the thing about Jesus though is he's also this one who will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. He's the one that promises he will send the Holy Spirit. Ask the Father, and the Father will send. <laughs> a number of goes. times you've got, you've got it coming yeah. in here. So you've got, you've got Jesus both as submissive to the Spirit as he's led into the temptations, and yet other times, particularly toward the end, he's Lord of the he's Spirit. He's wielding the Spirit, if you will. Well, yeah. Lord of the Spirit in the yeah. sense that you see his He's not his only deity. subordinate, he is, in a sense... There's the both, ushering it, yeah. They're both yeah. going on, and I think this is fascinating as we look at our Savior. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, what do you say, the order of the Godhead as well. Yeah. So give me, so when the Bible says that Jesus Christ emptied himself in, in Philippians, mm-hmm. um, maybe maybe dialogue a little bit about that in, in conjunction with 
uh, Jesus Christ, he is he's fully man. He comes into this form. His, his spirit, uh, the nature of his spirit, we are born uh, unregenerate. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, you, I, Jeff, we are born unregenerate. The Holy, the Holy Spirit has not uh, made his his dwelling within us, saving us. I'd go to John twenty twenty two. He breathed on them and they received yeah. the Spirit. That's the moment of regeneration in my mind. That they they in faith believed that he was God, that he rose from the dead. They confessed with their mouth, believed in their heart, he was Lord. That was their moment of regeneration in my mind. Um, and then there was another encounter. Uh, some would call it a second grace. Some would call it uh, uh, an, an infilling or a coming upon. Uh, I think it was actually John MacArthur, and I, nobody would like that I took that from him in my camp. But he, he does a really uh, good teaching on how in the book of Acts, the filling that took place yeah. was more of a sail ship being filled with wind than a cup being filled with water. That it was a, con- a past, present participle be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This filling, continual thing that takes place for signs, wonders, and miracles. So mm-hmm. So if that is the case, and, and I really want your take on this pneumatologically, um, that Christ obviously wasn't regenerate because he didn't, he wasn't unregenerate, but he was born in a similar state that we are regenerate, right? And then he, the second account of the Holy Spirit falling upon him was a the baptism Jordan. of the yeah. Spirit for signs, wonders, and miracles. Is that pneumatologically correct? I'm not sure. I'd want to think about that more, uh, Josh. I mean, the virgin birth comes in here. Yes. Comes in here at the beginning. I mean, the shadow of the, f- of the Almighty comes right. upon Mary. The Holy Spirit enters in, and it's the power of the Spirit that's there, and yet the Word assumes flesh. So you've got the entire Godhead involved in that one act of the virgin conception and then, and then birth. So you, you have the last Adam already without sin as we look at our Savior, uh, in spite of all the finitude of the body and the the, the curse of our flesh that's carried down to the generations, but one without sin. Um, as to when the Holy Spirit was in him, I think it, that's, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, the baptism is certainly, certainly a part of that. Absolutely. You have, you have the Mount of Transfiguration where he's glowing like light with Moses and Elijah. You, 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 have, you have that transition. A number of times Jesus says, the Spirit has not yet been given. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's with you, but he will be in, in you. you. Yeah. I take that to be Pentecost, which yes. is the beginning of the church. And the word baptism of the Holy Spirit is not used in Acts 2. In fact, it's not used for a good while. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is called the filling, as the Holy Spirit comes upon, and and uh, they speak in tongues, and the tongues of fire, and all of that. You have you have then occasionally the the apostles, like like. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in chapter 4 of Acts they are filled with the Holy Spirit with boldness as they talk to the Sanhedrin Sanhedrin beats them up they go back to the disciples, the others and they all rejoice and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not as though in one sense then there's a a filling of the Holy Spirit that is an ebb and tide when we when we ask the Lord to fill us as we as we preach evangelistically or as we pray for a friend or as we draw near in worship, there's a filling that is I don't want to say temporary because it's not that, but it, it is a a, a an, uh, sometimes more strong than others. Yeah. And yet we come to we come to chapter six and yeah. they're to choose deacons who yeah. are filled with the Holy Spirit, men marked by the presence of the Spirit in their lives. So the idea of filling is kind of twofold as we look even at Acts. Sometimes the apostles are filled, like Stephen, mm. as he's being stoned even, as he, as he yeah. sees uh, the Son at, uh, or Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And other times uh, Stephen wasn't, you know, or right. others weren't that way. And so you have, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, that is to walk in the Spirit more and more. Where we see the term baptism directly applied to, to Acts 2 is after the second Pentecost, and that is with Cornelius. Now you have a Gentile, and all that happened there, and again, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. Peter defends, this is so incredible, this is so so like what happened to us at the beginning, that that they have to be part of the church as well. This is God's way of saying, stamping them, and now we are one body, Gentile and Jew together. Getting back to Jesus and being... The nature, you know, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, that's where God takes our nature and He takes out our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. Comes I've, into I've, our lives. Yeah. I've, always, I've always likened it to, you know, He says you have a heart of stone. If you, 
if you breathe upon a stone, if I blow upon a stone, the, the stone cannot feel the, the wind of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or, the, or, the, or literal wind. Um, you can't resuscitate it. You can't give it CPR and bring it back to life. <laughs> it has no capacity for life. It really doesn't. Yeah. And then when God gives you a heart of flesh, then you are able to respond and, and feel and, and hear the still yes. small voice and sense the, the presence of God. Mm-hmm. He's written the law of God on your heart. You're no longer uh, walking under guilt and shame and, and trying to, uh, you know, you're speeding down the highway and you only slow down because you see a police officer, you know, that kind of law. It's, it's, you have a conviction of what is righteous and what is good and you want to do that and you have integrity because no one's looking and you still want to do what's right because you love God. You want to please God. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when, or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is when we're empowered to actually walk out these things in a greater way. Yes. I literally remember being saved, walking with God two years in, I get filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, whatever marker that is for you, however you want to believe. Um, <laughs> but I remember that, and I remember going to the Bible immediately, and it came to life. There was more understanding. There was more of Now, I still had it before, but it was like jumping off the page. Of and there was the all these things that I had believed and, and, and been taught that I went, love you guys, but that wasn't true. That's not biblical. And it was because the Holy Spirit had empowered us. So it's about the changing of one's nature and then being empowered. And so if Jesus was, you know, conceived with the brooding of the Holy Spirit, like in Genesis almost, the same kind of creation going on of the physical body, then his nature, if he's the exact representation of the nature of the Father, then by his nature, he is... He is regenerate from he's not, birth. He's not regenerate. He's generate. Or he's generate. Yeah, he's just generate. <laughs> what do we you know? call he's it? Just, yeah. he's, he doesn't need regeration. But he's the, he's the he second is the Adam. Fullness, yeah, he is the fullness of God from the jump. Absolutely. But as a man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's where the it's both. Well, he's in the he process, needs the it? empowerment to be able to walk out and go, okay, I need to make some mud now and rub it on this dude's eyes. Because before he, do you know he was so, like what? So my confusing question, I suppose, is did Adam have the likeness of sinful flesh? I guess that's really the question. Because Adam was tempted in his generate state; he had never lost regenerate, you know, that, yes, that, that state. state. So, so, so yeah. in his in his state, he obviously had some temptation. So, so when the Bible says that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh and was tempted, like we were tempted. Um, was it was it to say that so so I can I can assume that Adam could have been tempted so he had some kind of sinful flesh in his uh, I wouldn't say that I, I it's, it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to get there <laughs> yeah, man it's, yeah. it's 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 hard to to make that, that innocence con- is one thing sinful flesh is another it, when Adam and Eve sinned it was like uh, now there's poison in the in our veins it, and yeah. I hear that but before that uh, he wasn't. I wouldn't use the word regenerate either. I mean, he walked with God in the garden. There was no, there was no reason to be regenerate. Right. He was, he was created in God's image, and for and, and and Eve as well, for that for that very purpose to have relationship with God. I think if we import and say, well, what was the relationship of the Holy Spirit and all of that? Uh, we may be going where we don't know where to go. So, uh, so I'm looking at it too mathematically to say that there was something that was lost in the garden. Well, that there was surely restored. was that. Okay. Absolutely, there surely was that. In the likeness of sinful flesh means he was like us. I mean, we're broken in, in our physical realities. I suppose an interesting question is if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, would he have lived forever? I mean, he was sinless. He's the last Adam. But uh, that's a question we really can't answer because, because yeah. it didn't happen. So, yeah. so there's well, lots yeah. of speculation here. That uh, with, with Adam and Eve, I would say that there was, there's, a, you know, there's a level of naiveness almost. Oh, of course. When you read their story, it's... Um, C.S. Lewis, Out of the Silent Planet, there's a book, it's a sci-fi book, but it talks about, there's a, there's a chapter where um, Satan comes to Eve, it's in space, forgive me, but, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, symbolism, whatever, and Never this whole chapter time. is she is wrestling with this, uh, the concept of God not telling the truth. She can't even conceive it. Well, Satan she is, doesn't, yeah, <laughs> she yeah. She doesn't even understand what he's talking about, like, he has to break it down and really explain to her and then out of the naiveness of just not understanding she kind of gives in and goes oh okay why would she doesn't even say why would you lie she doesn't even know what lying is but he 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 whittles away at her trust in god he whittles away whittles away until finally she goes okay i guess it's not that big a deal if i do what he told me not to do because 
That'll make that, me like him. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So she believes God's holding a lie. She believes a lie, not even knowing what lying is. It sounds it's so weird. No, no, no yeah, I hear it's you. Really, I hear it's you. really hard. But out of, out of their, it's like a almost like a childlike naiveness that gets them into this place if they just would have listened to to the father. I guess in the first that's place. just so. So did Adam was it rebellion? That's a, I think that's a good question. Did Adam like, and Eve nah, die spiritually? Did they? Yes, was there, they there, oh, yes. there was a uh, spiritual oh, death. There, in some sense, yes. I mean, that's Romans six too, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, six. That's I'm making sure so, that we're on the same page there. Yeah. So, so they died spiritually, and you would say that is the spirit of man, or you would say the spirit of God, because again, because well, regeneration, we, we I know that's I know this duality there. It's kind of difficult. Yeah, we're using language that that may not always align. Uh, uh, our saviors. Well, going, going back to Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were innocent before, now they are separated from God. So when we say they're sinful flesh, now they, even though God restored them, they, they have no immediate access to God apart from his grace. And that's, that's what you see going down through the Old Testament, certainly into the New. Yeah. So it is always in our depravity. In our lostness, we have nothing that will satisfy God, nothing that will uh, appease God because of our being separated from him. That's the beauty of the cross. I mean, Romans 3 and elsewhere, God has shut up everybody to sin in one way or another, Romans 1, 2, and 3. And so we all need a Savior. And when we recognize that, rather than we're working up a ladder as in every other religion, uh, that's that's the beginning of understanding the gospel, seems yeah. to me. yeah. So we have another a really good question here um, from Mr. Cumbray. Another one he says, how did Jesus' own body serve to end sin if Jesus, Jesus did not allow it to remain mortal and to be subject to corruption? Is that making any sense? Yeah. So you want to read it again? So <laughs> he said, my, head, my Lord said to my Lord, said to my hand to the, you know, so, oh, yeah, well, so he talks see, about, yeah. he talks about how he will not allow his body to see corruption. It's the same passage. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where you go with that. I don't. Yeah. I don't really know either. So, it may, maybe have a, a clarifying question there. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe expound on maybe what we're maybe something we don't quite understand. Um, while he is doing that, um, <laughs> I'm, I don't I don't want to let this go necessarily because it, it's something that I'm I'm kind of wrestling with right now. So Jesus, um, he is did so you, you made the statement Adam and Eve when they fell they had no access to God outside of their you said it outside uh, of God's, God's grace coming to yeah, them God's I mean, divine he, grace he instantly sovereign grace sacrifices animals and makes garments right. for them so Seth same thing no access to God outside of God's sovereign grace um, so forth and so all the way down the line right um, Jesus comes Jesus has no access to the Father Outside of sovereign grace? No, because he's he's that last Adam. He's right. the one who Adam. has the sinless yes. nature. That's the point of the virgin birth. Yeah. And and that's why defending the I guess I'm trying to figure out what the sinful flesh is. You see what I'm saying? I'm yeah. trying to discover what is the sinful flesh that Christ was born I, in. The, no, he wasn't born he wasn't in born sinful, sinful flesh. flesh. The, likeness, born, the, likeness the likeness of sinful flesh. Like the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, I was born that man. way. Uh, yeah. But his, his, he was tempted from the outside. The rest of us are tempted from the yeah. inside. He looked are like us. Twisted one way. But inside, Jesus he was different. came otherwise, and yeah. yet he stayed faithful. He obeyed through the temptations that were more powerful than any that we've experienced. Yeah, I see. Okay, leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, and I, I think I think that was the best illustration that that we are tempted inwardly. Our own heart leads us astray. Christ's mm. own heart was not deceitfully wicked in all of right. its ways, but he had the likeness of sinful flesh, which was an exterior force drawing him yeah. on some level, uh, tempting him on some level. I do want to say he was tempted truly and deeply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I think traditionally in Roman Catholicism and elsewhere, oh, well, he was God, so... so He blew it off. It was no big one. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, he didn't but, sin. So I need to go to the others, the saints, to, to help me because they understand me better. Mary understands me better than Jesus because Jesus was mm-hmm. God. And so, no... Hebrews doesn't let us go there, nor do other passages of the Scripture. We are we are taken back to Jesus as our supreme example, yeah. as having overcome the flesh. Now we d- must trust the Spirit to do so. Uh, did Jesus do that? Well, yes, uh, and at the same time, he was that yeah. last Adam, that perfect human being that said no when when well, Adam said yes. It was one of the things, you know. So it this goes. I don't want to open that can, but. Before the baptism in the Jordan, um, immediately after, should I say, that's when he goes into the desert. And that's yes. when. But did he. 
I mean, did he face temptation before that? So of course he did. So that's absolutely. the question is, yeah. so it's like he did these things. I mean, he, he still had to honor his mother and his father. He still had to do all these things up until the age of 30. So uh, it's that, again, the you, you, but you see the his life and his ministry pretty much. That's when everything begins to he goes into a new level, you know, and so it's who he is by his nature compared to what he what is he empowered to do at that point well he's called the messiah the the anointed one that's what christos means christ yeah. so there you is mean that, that wasn't his last name <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like the holy sorry. spirit <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah break yeah. it up yeah sorry keep going <laughs> um and so and so there is an anointing there's a process as the son of david now now coming coming of age so to speak but let's not forget when he was 12 in the temple. I was, and I was he, thinking about that. And, and he, so he recognized in some sense that this is his father's house, that he is a unique son of God even at that point. So you, you have several things going on, along with the, the birth narratives and Jesus is truly God taken flesh. At the same time, you have this human development going on in the Lord Jesus. And so you see him maturing as, yeah. as a child and as a teenager. He's coming to grips then, with who he is. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that gets and, me excited. And I don't so know you have why. these two natures side by side, and that's part of the yeah. the mystery that that we can't we can't all together put together. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So okay, oh, three minutes. Three minutes. Boo. Vincent, stop time, bro. Make it happen. <laughs> um, Lord, son, still. Um, no, I'm just kidding. My name's Joshua, but it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> let's. I, I, okay, so three minutes left. Ugh. I really wished we had time to tackle Jesus Christ being made sin for us. Um, how that works, and I know that's yeah, well, that's those those kinds of bomb questions, and and then the other one of this idea that Jesus Christ, and and this is actually a scary one. I, I'm not even going to bring that one up on on air until we have time to tackle it. Um, yeah, so let's let's if we can if we can let's maybe drop talk to that. You're struggling with temptation right now. I'm, I'm being tempted right now. <laughs> there, there's one thing I really want to bring up, but but it would not be fair to our audience to even mention it. Yeah. Um, so, so Jesus Christ being made sin for us. Explain well, that to me. Well, take the passage as it is. I mean, we, he, all that sin requires of us in terms of punishment. He didn't become sin. There it is for us. He assumed the sin, the consequences of that sin, as though he were the guilty one there for us. I mean, he that's the scapegoat. I think. I think. I don't find that difficult, but I know some run with that and say went into hell and all the rest. Uh, that's really absurd, and no one, in, no one in Christian history has held that until some some people got their visions here recently. Oh, okay, and, yep. So, so Christ became sin for us only in the sense that He assumed all that we deserve, and yet He was sinless. Otherwise, His His substitution is useless. And that w- that would be the next because I actually I have answers for these. So th- this is the one. Th- there has been a teaching, and I got two minutes. If we have to go late, we'll have to go late, Vincent. I'll give you one of these wrap-up signs, and and then you can cue the music if we have to go late. That's okay this time. Um, but there is a teaching that Jesus Christ became sin for us, became sin, not not took the position of sin, that took the wage of sin, but but he became sin. Then he died, and then he rose from the dead, and therefore Jesus Christ was born again, that he is the firstborn wow. among the dead. And it's actually a teaching that is emerging out of a very popular Movement. I don't want to mm-hmm. again not l- slapping labels on anybody, um, but again, that idea that in my, my quick answer is firstborn does not denote um, uh, a chronological order. It denotes preeminence because it says yeah. he's the firstborn among creation and he's the firstborn among the dead. And if he's firstborn chronologically, then that means he's the first created being. And then then we get into all kinds of hairy issues. And that can't be the case. It means that he is the preeminent son, the firstborn, as in he's been given authority over the household firstborn son. Yeah. So so It's about an authority position more than about chronological. I think you kind of answered both of those questions. That's the only reason I brought up the second one, is by saying he did not become sin. Um, he received the wage of sin. I think that really kind of squashes that sure, whole yeah. theological position. Uh, and it's sad because, again, I, how could God become God who is absolutely holy yeah, become with, yeah. sin? I mean, it contradicts uh, the whole of historic Christianity as well as yeah. scriptures. What, what about the, well, there's there's no the aspect go of God who cannot sin? But well, yeah. when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So at that point, was there a 
I think in the Godhead, uh, you the Holy Spirit say, was taken from. I mean, what do you say at that point? Cause, well, that's like saying God died on the cross, right? God never died. It's it's the infinite or the finite the cannot re- well, receive the infinite. It seems right? to me death is separation. So you have in those moments, I think, you still have the one essence of God. That the Son is eternally, eternally generated by the Father, as classical orthodoxy puts it together. So you have the one God. United yet at the cross, and yet it seems to me in the one time in all of time and space and all of creation where there was a, there was a, uh, I hate to use the word separation, I don't want to use that, but there was a darkness in the fellowship between the Father and the Son. Okay. That's what was happening yeah. at the cross. Now, that's the only thing that we see in, what is it, Matthew and, Psalm and I believe Mark. I know, oh, it goes back yeah, to Psalm yeah. 22. But those are the only words of Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we look at Luke and when we look at John, we see... Into your hands I, I, I give okay, my, spirit. my spirit. Father, forgive yes. them for they know what they do. You see one passage after another that affirms that the Savior is trusting the Father even in the midst of the darkness of hmm. assuming yeah. the penalty hey. for sin for all yeah. human, humankind. Well, he's trusting the Father within the darkness. Absolutely. There's, Absolutely. That, there's a message in there. There surely <laughs> that's is. A good, that's yeah. a good word right yeah. there. So Man. it's not, it, it, that's one of the paradoxes, the difficult realities of what happened at the cross but that's the beauty as well man man we've got to we've got to wrap up such a good program good stuff i i could just i could have you come in every day and and just dialogue about this i really could want to thank kairos classrooms for sponsoring this episode of remnant radio and if you're out there you've ever wondered hey i wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies well you need to check out kairos classrooms they offer greek and hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you it's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers and they help teach you the biblical languages of greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.